this is Sports Jam, a special edition today, as my guest is New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Governor Murphy and I have been talking about sports for many years, so it's exciting to have you on the show, Governor. Doug, it's good to be with you. I'm thrilled that we can finally get this one on the books, and I love your Pittsburgh Pirate jerseys behind you. <laughs> I didn't have any Red Sox jerseys. I'm sorry, uh, but I do, okay. have, I do have a Bruin on my hat here as that game was played at Fenway Park, as you know, the Winter Classic between the uh, Bruins and the Penguins. So I do have you represented a little bit here. We're going to talk about uh, how supportive you are of the sports here in New Jersey, but first, as a Massachusetts native, lifelong fan of the Boston Red Sox and New England Patriots. And you've been spoiled, Governor, with the Red Sox World Series in 2004, 2007, 2013, 2018, and the Tom Brady-era Patriots Super Bowls. But it wasn't always that way, was it, for you as a Boston fan? You had to earn your stripes, per se. Yeah, you said it very well. When I grew up, let me use the Patriots as an example, although there, there were plenty of lean years with the Red Sox. Patriots were awful. They couldn't get a stadium. They, they were nomads. They moved around. They played at Fenway. They played at Harvard, BU, BC. Just embarrassing. They ultimately built a stadium. You ready for this? For $7 million. I don't wow. think you can build a suite in, uh, <laughs> in a stadium today for $7 million. And by the way, their home games, you remember the blackout rules in the NFL, their home, they never sold out. So their home games are never on television, which is why, and this gets me a little bit closer to Jersey, my second team became and has always been the New York football giants because the AFL was pre-merger was on NBC and the NFL and the Giants uh, in particular were on CBS and the Giants, first of all, sold out Yankee Stadium. But even if they hadn't sold it out, uh, I grew up outside of Boston. We were outside of the radius. So I was a uh, Ali Sherman, Fran Tarkenton uh, era uh, New York Giants uh, fan. And uh, and the Patriots, I, I always was wishing for them to be good, but they weren't. And the Red Sox were, weren't any good in those days either. And then came a man named Brady. And that was the Brady Bunch for sure. So let's let's talk about uh, some of the players that are associated with your your hometown. Now, you're you're too young to remember seeing Ted Williams actually play. You were just a couple of years old when when he ended his career with the Red Sox. But Ted Williams was always my dad's favorite player. And when I had him on the show back in 2015, my dad, I mean, he cried when he talked about his love of Ted Williams being in the military and what he was actually able to do with his career. But until his death in 2002, he was one of the most beloved sports figures in Boston and around the world. Who are the players of all your teams that for you meant something? Let me, let me say one thing about Williams. And by the way, I would agree with everything your dad thought about him. He missed five years in the prime of his career as a fighter pilot in both World War II and in uh, the Korean War. And he still ended up with 521 homers and lifetime batting average of 340-something. Just extraordinary. This guy was the best hitter in the history of the game, and there's no question he would have. If you do the average home runs a year, he would have been deep into the 700s. But are you ready for this? One more underscore as to how lousy the Red Sox were. When he retired, and it was known it was his last game, 
9,000 fans showed up. How about that? 9,000 fans. The guy that I would associate my childhood years without question was Carl Yastrzemski. Uh, he succeeded immediately. I believe the next year he succeeded Williams in left field. Uh, and he played from 62, I believe, to 83. So he played like Williams. They were each around 40 when they hung up their cleats. And he was the guy. Carl Yastrzemski. Carl Yastrzemski. Carl Yastrzemski. The man they call yes. We love him. Carl Yastrzemski. Carl Yastrzemski. Carl Yastrzemski. What power he has. Our Boston team is always on the beam. Cause we got jazz. We Fenway fans. We stop and clap our hands. And yes, it's jazz. Pitchers on the mound all shake. They dread each wind-up that they have to take. When number eight is standing at the plate, and then he swings. Whoa, there it goes again. Whoa, there it goes again. Whoa, there it goes again. He single-handedly carried the 1967 Impossible Dream team. He was still... Uh, a, a big contributor in 1975. Uh, and I went to his last game in Yankee Stadium. And the Yankees fans gave him a standing ovation, which was, by the way, I went to Jeter's last game ever. It happened to be in Fenway. And they sent, the Fenway crowd sent Jeter off like he was a Red Sox. They, it was such a love fest. But Yastrzemski's my guy. Uh, obviously, since then, you know, not you know, Ortiz and Manny and Pedro and all these guys uh, in the current era uh, or the more recent era, but Yaz was my guy. It was it's sweeter though, right? Because you know, as a as a Steeler fan, the Steelers were were losers until the until the seventies. So I understand what it is to and the Penguins they they didn't win anything when I was growing up. So it is sweeter though when those Super Bowls and those those World Series come around, right? No question about it. Uh, the Celtics, on the other hand, and I continue to be a big Celtics fan, they had the opposite experience. In the 60s, they couldn't lose. Uh, they won the title, I think, every year except for 66, uh, which is extraordinary. And then it was a long, then they won some in the 70s. Then they won some with Bird in the 80s. And then it was until 2008, and that's still the last title they've won. So there's that hungry feeling has finally started to creep into Celtics fans uh, like it was for decades for Patriots and Red Sox fans. Red Sox went from, as you know, from 1918 to 2004 without winning something. I mean, 86 years uh, is crazy. Uh, but that's a, to say we were hungry as fans would be the understatement of the century. Everybody knows how great Larry Bird was. But my favorite player on that team was always Robert Parrish, the chief, because chief. oh, he was so impressive and so I wouldn't want to go up against him because he had that scowl on his face, right? He yeah. always looked mean. What are your thoughts about the the bird led Celtics? Oh, that was that those. They had the arguably the best front court in the history of the game with Parrish, McHale, and Bird, who's a top ten all time player. Um, and then under underrated guys, the most most important of which I think was Dennis Johnson, uh, who ran the show. But they were an incredible group. Three world titles. Celebration has begun in Boston. 
The Boston Celtics are the NBA world champions in a grueling seven-game series with the Los Angeles Lakers. The Celtics with the best record in the league beat the team with the second best record in the league. The final score, Boston 111 and Los Angeles 102. Two things I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth, which, as you know, after all these years of knowing me, you know I do very well. Um, uh, they, they should have, I think, won more titles than three. The Lakers and Magic and Kareem were the reason why they didn't win more, and then the Pistons at the end. And secondly, and this is a brutally hard statement to make, they held on to those guys too long. Uh, they, they could have made some moves in the late 80s that would have fed uh, much more quickly the next generation. And I think the management got sentimental and held on to everybody. Bird, you could completely understand. I, uh, Parrish ended up playing for, for teams beyond the Celtics for a few years. I don't recall that McHale ever did, but there was a moment in time, probably around 88 or 89, they should have broken the band up and they didn't. You see, the governor does know his sports. It's always been a love of sports for the Murphy family. Where did this all begin for you and your family? I'd say my dad. Uh, my dad, most important. Growing up, the memories of my dad or grandfather on my mother's side uh, are overwhelmingly baseball. The Patriots were sort of Johnny-come-latelys. The AFL was a new league. Uh, frankly, the fan base took the Celtics for granted. The Boston, sadly, had, had and I hope it still doesn't, had a big um, racist reputation, sadly. And so you had this crazy uh, decade of the 60s where the Red Sox were lousy, little in every year, yet most dads, granddads, were hanging on transistor radios with every pitch. You had the Celtics winning world championships every single year of that decade, except for 66, and they couldn't sell out Boston Garden. You had the Bruins, who were awful before Bobby Orr arrived in 66, and they sold everything out and didn't win one title. They were lousy to be in the first half of the decade and then got good in the second half but won no titles. You couldn't get near the Boston Garden uh, for them. And as you say, the Patriots were both lousy and couldn't sell out, so they were sort of junior varsity. So it was a weird, it was a weird decade, and that's the one I you know, where my early memories are. But I'd have to say my dad in particular, for football, it would have been my late big brother, who was much more into football um, than either my dad, than, than my dad was then. And then we got into soccer. I should say one other thing. I had a childhood friend whose parents were Scottish. And I'd, I'd sleep over, and every Saturday morning, his dad would have a transistor radio out, or shortwave radio, beaming in a... Um, I can't remember. I'm embarrassed to say whether it was Celtic or Rangers games from Scotland. And I got used to listening to these games and then ultimately played the one sport I played badly, I might add, uh, but played soccer uh, through freshman year in high school. Um, so soccer got got to me. I was a I was ahead of the head of the curve on soccer. 
Yeah, and those that know you well know that you are the owner of Gotham FC. I just spoke with Mary Wittenberg, the president of the club. And uh, so is that where the love then that you wanted to own a soccer team? It started back then? I'd say love of soccer started then. It, it accelerated when I was in the private sector and was set to work and live in Germany. Um, and this was in 1993, and the Germans were the defending men's, in, in, this, in this case, men uh, defending World Cup champs. And I got into it in a big way then. Then went to Asia, stayed with it, moved back to the States, and then ultimately became our ambassador in Germany. And at that point, married with four kids. And we went, you know, the, the passion for the support for the sport, it actually it started back in Jersey. Our, all of our kids were playing in Jersey when we went to Germany. But when we went to Germany, it was like a rocket booster in terms of our passion. We went to games every weekend. They played on high level, really tough competition teams. Obviously, they were young. They were 12, 10, 8, 6 when we went. But that's where it really, really accelerated. Uh, and we haven't looked back since. Gotham FC has an exciting lineup and October 15th, they're celebrating their captain, Allie Krieger. So you want to get to, to Red Bull stadium to, to cheer her on. Now She's also she is amazing. Now you've said you'd love for the English premier league and the champions league to have matches staged here in the U S and, and, and here in New Jersey at MetLife stadium and other venues. This is something you're passionate about, isn't it? It is, although people tell me the chances are not high, but I'm going to continue to beat the drum. And, and, and Doug, the facts are fairly straightforward. A couple of things that, that, that feed into this, uh, this view. Number one, the Premier League already sends teams, as do other European leagues, to the United States to play preseason games. Most recent example that I was at was July... Alex will help me out here. July something, uh, Manchester United, Arsenal, 82,500 uh, capacity crowd at MetLife, and the game meant nothing. Um, but I'll tell you, because of the crowd, each coach put their best team on the field, and they played like it was Champions League final. Secondly, the NFL does this all, already. Uh, they they are now scheduling, not just here and there, but scheduling a whole schedule of games in Europe. I was with Robert Kraft for a bit on uh, Sunday. They're excited. Germany's been uh, designated as a market for the Patriots, Chiefs, and a couple of others. Patriots are playing the Colts in November. Um, that's a regular season game. So the, my point is a big global Globally important sports league has already crossed that Rubicon. Why can't the Prem do that or the Bundesliga or La Liga or Champions League even better yet? I'm told across the Atlantic that none of these teams would dare give up their home field advantage. Uh, both, I suspect, both revenue as well as, more importantly, probably fan base. Um, but I'm, I'm going to die trying. I think it's one of these leagues... It's only a matter of time till you see a serious game that matters played in the United States. And if it is played here, it's going to be played in Jersey. 
I know my son-in-law Joe was at that game at MetLife Stadium. He's a big Arsenal fan, and he would love to see that come to fruition. I know for sure. You know, you Doug, were at the Doug, within a few days. Brighton played Newcastle United at Red Bull, and they had another huge. They could have sold multiples of that stadium for that game. Yeah, the interest is is way up. You were at the Jets and Giants home openers, and you're a big supporter of college athletics here in the Garden State. And the state has had quite a run in college hoops with Rutgers, Seton Hall, Princeton, and most recently FDU and St. Peter's in uh, 2023. It was FDU in 2022. It was St. Peter's. And some some people don't even know where these, these schools were located, these basketball fans all over the country. It really helped promote New Jersey, didn't it? Oh, no question. I comment on the Jets and Giants and then college. I was at both openers. I was at the Jets uh, the other day against the Patriots. I, I continue to be a glass half full guy. The extent to which they're successful, the Devils are successful, that's good for them. It's good for Jersey. It puts a kick in people's steps. It's good for our economy. It's good for our attitude and reputation. So I'm hoping that each of those teams can and I'm an optimist that they can, that they can turn things and get to a better spot. College hoops, um, you know, you could argue, like people talk about Kentucky and North Carolina and UCLA, and I get all that and great traditions. If, if you look sort of at a geography, not at a school, uh, you've got some of the great hoops traditions in New Jersey. I'd argue that our traditions are as good as anybody's. You mentioned the schools. The lob, and that will do it. FD, you believe it? For just the second time ever, a 16 beats a 1. By the way, just before uh, connecting with you today, I spoke to the new Fairleigh Dickinson president who's getting inaugurated today, so we'll give him a shout-out. But St. Peter's, Seton Hall, and Rutgers, in 10 seconds on Rutgers, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the next two years are going to only be matched by the late Phil Sellers, who sadly we lost a couple of weeks ago, era Rutgers teams. That was a Final Four team led by Phil. I think you're going to see uh, two of the best Rutgers teams ever in the next couple of years. I love what the coach is doing at Seton Hall bringing in, you know, with this with this uh, transfer window, the way it works these days, you don't have to sit any time out. The NIL thing is plays heavily. I'm not sure I'm wild about that in terms of the way it's structured, but that maybe is for another conversation. But I'm excited about another great college hoops year in, in Jersey. So let's have a little fun as far as you have the family and you can go to a sports event that happened in the past you can magically take your family to that game where would you go and why wow one of the games in the red sox 2004 world series because they made history i, I say one of the games uh I, by the way i'd be split between the world series where they where they beat the cardinals in four Maybe more appropriately, the, the ALCS against the Yankees, where they came back from th down 3 nothing. So that'd be, and that's purely because they made history. Um, probably with the Patriots, I would go back to the 
Super Bowl where they beat Atlanta, where they were down, what were they down, 32 to 8 or something like that? I said at halftime, I said, wouldn't it be amazing if they came back and won this game? And Crazy, they, right? Yeah. And all they needed was to give Brady one extra series. You know, yeah. that they, they, they caused that fumble to give them an extra possession and don't give Tom Brady a chance, right? Yeah, yeah that was that was the lesson learned there. Toss the white. He's in. Patriots win the Super Bowl. Brady has his fifth. What a comeback. Celtics, it would be game seven against the Lakers in uh, June of uh, May or June of 69 uh, in L.A. with the Celtics against all outs beat the Lakers. I'd probably go to that first Stanley Cup that Bobby Orr won with the famous leaping goal against the St. Louis Blues on Mother's Day in 1970. Those would be sort of Boston uh, stuff. I would have loved to have been at the World Cup men's final in December which was an overtime penalty shootout with Leo Messi winning his World Cup. That was one of the most incredible soccer games ever played. I'm sure there are others, but that those would be on my list. You probably would uh, be excited to know that Derek Sanderson was on Sports Jam. He was the man who set up Bobby Orr for that game-winning goal that gave the Bruins their Stanley Cup title. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, to Orr! Bobby Orr! Scores in the Boston Bruins! Have won the Stanley Cup! Orr! Looking at it the third door! And looking at the ball team by the Bruins! As Bobby Orr, their 22-year-old sensation, scores! After 40 seconds of overtime! A lot of people don't remember that it was that little shovel pass behind the net from Derek right. Sanderson that resulted in all the glory for the flying goal. So uh, when you think about all the, this, this sports, you've, you've mentioned it when we've seen you on uh, Ask Governor Murphy, you would rather talk sports than you would talk politics, right? I, Alex Altman was with me. I said, Alex, can we do more of these? <laughs> uh, and I do call-ins. I, I, I said, uh, there are two types of shows I'd love to do. Sports, sports, and rock and roll. Uh, so I'd love, to, I'd love to DJ for an hour at some point with somebody. Yeah, but I love it. We, 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 and we love it as a family. And, um, and it's all of us. Uh, it's Tammy and me and then our three boys and our daughter, uh, it, it, it a little bit more of a, of a variation as to which sports are the fondest among all of us. Um, our daughter's training to run a marathon right now, so that's her uh, focus. A lot of soccer, including for her. All of our kids played in high school soccer. One of them played in college. We, we play as a family. Some of them are now picking up golf. Uh so it, it is, we love, we love sports. We, we watch them on television all the time. We go to games, you know, one of the privileges of being governor is I get to go to games in Met, at MetLife and that's a pretty cool thrill. We're pitching, we're gonna host games in the 2026 Men's World Cup. We're pitching for the final. I don't know if we're gonna get it or not, but at a minimum, we're, we're gonna have a very good package 
of multiple games in the summer of 2026. Uh, in fact, today we are hosting FIFA and all of their folks, both host committee issues and stadium issues as we speak. They are in the Meadowlands uh, with our teams. So, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, it's not that I don't like Ask the Governor, because <laughs> frankly, uh, you've been with me every step of the way. In fact, no, not only not like it, I actually enjoy it enormously because it is the rawest, most immediate point of attack interactions that I have. I do see people on the street in diners and stadiums a lot and folks in Jersey are bashful to raise their questions or concerns and I and I, I want them to do that. But Ask the Governor is structured to do just that. And your colleague Nancy Solomon is as good as it gets. So the, the whole construct is great. But man, I love sports and rock and roll. Let there be no doubt about it. So you mentioned rock and roll. Obviously, you know, we're, we're a jazz and blues station here. Is there any artist in that category that you enjoy listening to? Well, I, I, I respect enormously great musicians like Coltrane and Miles Davis and others like that. I'm reading a pretty cool book, um, which I highly recommend. I have no financial stake in this book, so I can recommend it. Called Brothers and Sisters about the Almond Brothers. And it's focused in the period right after Dwayne was killed in the motorcycle accident and leading up to making and then touring the album Brothers and Sisters at the same time Greg was making his famous kind of acoustic album called Laid Back. And it goes through the backgrounds of each of the musicians, either in the band or that played on Laid Back. And a lot of them had a combo or separate jazz and blues influences. Uh, unbeknownst to the hard rock highway, cruising down the highway uh, fans of the Allman Brothers, Greg's biggest influence uh, was the old man Buckley. I forget, they, they both died young. I forget if Jeff was the father or the son. Uh, and Jackson Brown, uh, Huda Funkin. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I have enormous respect. I'm also a big Broadway uh, music fan. So that's an area that I've, I've, uh, I've got another passion. And, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm a general, I like opera. I'm not, a, I'm not a deep opera student, but I like it um, and, and, and go to it and listen to it. But at the end of the day, I'm uh, full bore rock and roll. I think that's why you and I get along so well, because our, our passions are the same. We both love music. We both love sports and, and, and Broadway too. So, uh, and, we, and I might add that, that uh, as bad a year as the Red Sox are having, the Pirates are at least two games ahead of them. Uh, and I, I'm actually a big bull on Pittsburgh. Ben Charrington is the general manager. He's the real deal. He built, built one of the Red Sox championship teams. You've got great youth. You've got a sprinkling of, of veterans. Brian Reynolds would be on that list. The, the, the key will be, can they spend enough money to keep that group together for enough of a period of time that they're cohesive enough to, to win a title. And I actually think they can. And I have to tell you after watching sports jam now that governor Phil Murphy knows his sports and loves sports. And we enjoy talking with him and you are invited back to this show anytime you want. I would love that Doug. And I'm going to see you. I don't know when to ask the governor next, but I'm going to see you soon. I would think, right. You will see me soon in, uh, in October. And it's been an honor to have you on the show, governor. And, when people see you at the game, they should go up and talk sports. 
with New Let's Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Doug. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios production. You can hear all the past shows by going to wbgo.org slash sportsjam or wbgo.org slash studios. You can also find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or wherever you hear podcasts. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.